Hello, I'm Walker, and this is The Recap Episode, a podcast exploring the history of reality TV. In each episode of the podcast, I deep dive into the creation, filming, viewing, and reception of reality TV shows through the history of the genre to give you the real tea about reality TV. Hi, hello, welcome to the recap episode, where I'm recapping all of reality TV. Last episode, I covered what could be considered the first reality television program called An American Family, which, you know, it's a format we're familiar with now, but it was the first time that anyone had tried to just film real people and see what happens. This time, we're going across the pond, and we're seeing a similar experiment over in Britain. Uh, This show is called The Family, which, you know, doesn't make anything confusing when talking about the show. The American version of this, An American Family, aired in 1973. This show aired on BBC One from April 3rd to June 6th in 1974. And later it was rerun on BBC Two and they also made follow-up, kind of like reunion-esque, catch-up-with-the-cast the uh, specials every couple of years later on. The show was directed by Paul Watson, who's also the creator of the, the concept in Britain, and Frank Rodham. Paul Watson is an English documentarian. He started as an artist. He moved into television in the late 1960s. He's best known for producing Sylvania Waters, which is an Australian reality TV show from the early 90s. Frank Rodham is an English director, screenwriter, television producer, and publisher. He is best known for creating Alphavita Sane Pet, a British comedy series from the 80s, and Quadrophenia, a drama film loosely based on an album by The Who of the same name. Rodham, we'll see later, also created the extremely well-known series MasterChef. The crew also included cameraman Philip Bonham Carter, sound recorder Peter Edwards, and assistant Paul Holston. Now, Paul, as the creator of the show, was very familiar with An American Family and the experiment that was conducted in the United States on filming a family just to see what typical American family life is like. However, some catches included the fact that the show ended up documenting kind of the collapse of that family, the Loud family, in real time as the the wife of the family, the head, Pat, uh, demanded a divorce from her husband. And this was all documented in real time and was not something that uh, the creator, Craig Gilbert, had even anticipated happening when he found this family and started making the show and everything. He was trying to figure out divorce, but he didn't think a divorce would happen. In addition to that, the Loud family was very uh, middle class. They were a bit wealthier than your typical American, and many of the critiques of the show, aside from the fact that because it was the first time this had been done and a lot of people really heavily critiqued the method of making this kind of reality show. A large critique was that this family can't represent the typical American family because they're just not that typical. 
And so Paul Watson, you know, who's developing a similar idea, and his actually didn't come from watching the show. Paul actually used to be an artist, and he was doing some painting one day on a house, and he looked outside across the street to other houses, and an idea kind of struck him. Basically, what are those other houses like? You know, what would I see if I looked inside? Um, And so he had the idea, well, let's do exactly that. Let's take a look inside. Before uh, trying to film the family, he had directed a series or a documentary called The Block in 1972, which was a made-for-TV documentary about living below the poverty line in Great Britain. So Paul Watson had experience creating these kind of programs and doing this kind of documentary style and this kind of topic of you know, what is normal life? Let's take away the sheen and the shininess of the celebrity world and actually look at normal people doing normal and real things. Paul needed to find the family. That would be the focus of his show. Uh, To do this, just put an ad out in the newspaper. And through, you know, recruiting to the newspaper and families responding in and levels of filtering and interviewing and whatnot, uh, they ended up with the Wilkins family. And Paul, similar to Craig Gilbert, who created the American version of this kind of show, he said he anticipated doing a piece about marriage, but he also wanted to do a piece about housing, about crowding, and where a mother stands. We're going to kind of jump around a bit in me talking about this show, because as I'll discuss later, the show itself doesn't really lend itself to one cohesive narrative. Um... And so neither will this episode of the pod. <laughs> but there's a episode in the show in, which includes Paul Watson talking to media about the show. And something he says is, you know, everyone's been beating us before it's finished. And by it, he means actually filming the show. Just because what the show produced was fairly controversial. And like I said, it was the first time this had been done in Britain. It only been done once before in the States. It really was an uphill battle making the show and, you know, actually getting people to enjoy it and fighting public criticism. The BBC had sent some film crews to actually be with the Wilkins family for two whole months to see if they would be the correct fit for the show, which is very interesting when you compare this to how Gilbert created An American Family because... And you can hear this story in the first episode of the podcast in more detail. Gilbert just sort of happened upon the Loud family. And after talking with them for about 20 minutes, he decided they're perfect. That's it. Let's do it. And filming started like the next week. BBC spent a whole two months just making sure the Wilkins would actually be the fit that Paul wanted for this show. And so the show was filmed over three months. And as I mentioned, this show in different format to the American one, this one was aired while it was being filmed. So they filmed a bunch of material. They actually stopped filming for a little bit because the team had to go edit all of the footage to produce the first episode of the series. And then they returned. Um, And that has some interesting effects that we'll dive into in a bit. An American family, for comparison, the entire thing was filmed over the course of seven months in 1971 and then the show was edited in 1972 and then it was aired early in 1973 and so that entire show was finished and wrapped before anyone saw it you know reach the television screen this show first episode aired and they even have footage of the family watching themselves on the show which we'll talk about so as i've kind of alluded to 
it's a very similar idea, a similar concept, a format or experiment as an American family. Uh, but this really is where the similarities stop. The show had 12 episodes, uh, 30 minutes each, um, and they often moved between all of the different family members, which I mentioned earlier. The narrative of the show is kind of all over the place, but it works. Each episode starts with a brief cold open, usually highlighting one of the four main controversies or narrative arcs that we're going to see in the show. And I call them controversies because the critiques of the show became critiques of the family themselves. And it's because the family had these kind of four scandalous events, you know, controversial attributes that media critics didn't like. But of course, you know, that's just what average people are. Average people aren't going to have the perfect shiny sitcom life. Each starts with a cold open. Sometimes to review what was shown in the previous episode. I remember this aired weekly. Sometimes to just kind of bring up, like, this is what we're going to be exploring. We're going to be hanging out with such and such this week, mostly. Um, after the cold open, each episode has a fun intro sequence, um, which is kind of a flyover Reading. That's where the Wilkins family lives. And it shows images of all the family members while a, to me, very entertaining intro song plays. This song was made specifically for the show by musician Dave Brooks. And I'm going to play a little bit of it for y'all now just because it's such a great piece of music and it serves very well as the intro to this. just a interesting <laughs> song to have for this show um flute this kind of strange yell singing i love it after this intro song has concluded and the zoom in and the showing of all the film members we get one nice group composite shot of the wilkins family and the title card of the show, which if you follow the pod on Twitter and Instagram, you'll see that that title card just displays the picture of the family and says the family in a very nice classic, what I can only describe as a mid 70s font. So episode one of the family introduces us to all the different family members and each member of the family is given a you know short vignette uh, about a representative piece of their daily life. And so for example, Terry, who is a bus driver, is shown working on the bus. Chris and Heather are the youngest children of the family. They're shown at school. Margaret is shown as her job as a grocer, etc. So let me, before we carry on with the rest of the show, explain all the different family members because we have quite a large cast for this one. So I don't think anyone would disagree with me to say that Margaret Wilkins is undoubtedly the matriarch, the head of this family. She's extremely strong-willed, very outspoken, but she's great. 
Um, and she very much, you can tell, makes a lot of the decisions. Her and the eldest daughter, Marion, were actually the ones who responded to the newspaper ad to be on the show. Margaret's current husband at the time of filming is Terry. Uh, both of them had been married previously and divorced and now are married uh, to each other. As I mentioned, Marion is the eldest daughter of the family, uh, Margaret and Terry. She's 19 at the time of filming. Marion is engaged to Tom, which is one of the controversial topics of the show. That they are engaged, but they're living together. You know, they're not married yet, which is very scandalous for the 70s in Britain. Gary is the eldest son of Margaret and Terry. He is 18 at the time of filming. Gary is married to Karen, and they have an infant son named Scott. And then there is Heather, who is another daughter of Terry and Margaret. She is 15 at the time of filming. And then their youngest son is Chris, who is nine. And they all get their due and fair amount of screen time doing different things, which is nice to see. You know, they don't, as much as they have their own individual arcs and narratives that are focused on, that's not the entirety of what gets shown. So in this first episode, in addition to being introduced to the family, who they are, what the dynamic is and what the roles are. Paul Watson also briefly narrates over, you know, how he chose Redding, who the family is, etc. In addition to this, in the first episode, there are some clips of the producers, including Paul, I think maybe Frank Rodham, and at least one of the cameramen. Tom and Terry are talking about, like, why they want to do the show etc which is very interesting that in the first episode they're already showing this like pseudo behind the scenes moment of the production of the show and then on top of that it's also kind of filmed where yes the family members are talking to the production team but the way it's angled they're also talking to the camera and we're going to see this a bit more going on kind of the very early version of what in reality TV we now know as the confessional camera, where one of our cast members is delivering something by themselves, usually directly to the camera, directly to the audience. And so Margaret, you know, gives the reason why does she want to be on the show? Well, she believes the show will give us the chance to put normal people on television, which interestingly is a fairly similar reason to why Craig Gilbert wanted to put a family on TV. He saw the perfect families of the sitcoms and said, well, that's not what a real American family is like. So that's interesting that, you know, Gilbert and Watson both came up with this idea sort of simultaneously, at least within the same couple of years. Interestingly, the Wilkins were aware of Gilbert's An American Family and this show that aired in the states that's doing what they're about to do and you know they also are aware of what happened to the loud family and the divorce and some people because of the way the Amer an american family was edited and shown some people it, it is easy to infer that the parents of the loud family divorced because of being on the show when in reality there were tensions prior to filming that had boiled over during the filming of the show. 
to this effect, Margaret has actually been, you know, on the record saying, that won't happen to us. My marriage is as solid as a rock in referring to, did the show cause the divorce of the Louds? And Margaret says, that's not going to happen. Our family is too strong. We're going to show you what a true, you know, a true average typical family is like. I keep referring to kind of the scandals of the controversies of the Wilkins family that both makes them typical and makes them atypical because if you watch, like I said, the perfect sitcom family, you're not going to see these things, but you know they exist in real life. You know there are families that struggle with these things. And these four factors of the family lead to much of the narrative content for the series. And while some significant events that are outside of the family's normal day-to-day life are filmed, the show is mostly structured to follow what happens with these four events. And they're laid out and kind of built up very organically in the first four episodes of this show. In the sort of ending piece of the first episode, we get a hint of one of them, Gary and Karen, who are married and have the infant son, are trying to move out of Margaret and Terry's house, but they're having trouble because they can't afford a place of their own, and there is sort of a welfare housing system in Reading, but they've been having trouble applying for it and getting approved or even getting into the process of starting this. And then the other major one, in what turned out to be kind of a point of contention for the members of the family, and really started leading the charge against the Wilkins family and the show in the uh, conservative media front, was that it was revealed that Chris, the youngest son, is not uh, biologically Terry's child. Margaret had an affair, and Chris is the result of that affair. However, it's also immediately shown that this doesn't matter to Terry. Terry still raises Chris as his own son, you know. And in something very interesting, you know, the the cameras filmed Chris reacting and crying to what we assume is him learning that he is not Terry's real son. uh, When in fact, and if you watch very closely, you can tell this is what's actually going on. And as well as this, Heather and Marion and Margaret have also all confirmed this in later interviews, that Chris was crying because he did poorly at school and got a bad report card. And for some reason, it got brought up that Chris is not Terry's biological son. And, you know, so the editing made it appear that this was the first time Chris was told, and that's why he's crying. And this led to a bit of conflict between Wilkins and Watson and the production team because like I said they got to view this show as it was being aired which was also happening while they were filming it so they were able to say you know we watched this first episode a it was a bit of a shock to all of them because a lot of them hadn't realized like oh is that what I look like is that how I act which in my opinion is something that we're going to see a lot going forward through the history of reality tv I think a lot of people aren't aware of how they truly react. And then when you put them on the cameras and they watch themselves, they're very quick to go, that's not the real me. You edited me to appear in this you know, negative way. When in reality, it's like, no, we took some things out because that's when you were not talking or something boring was happening. 
but we didn't, as another podcast I've recently started listening to calls it, we didn't Frankenbite it. That's from a Next Top Model re- recap podcast called America's Next Best Friend. I recommend. There's this editing done in the first episode, made things appear weird. They confronted Watson, and then Watson basically, you know, said, okay, fine, I will make sure that you will know exactly what is going into these episodes before we ship them off for airing. Which, as you can imagine, 12 episodes over three months, that is weekly filming and airing and production. So this had to be a very fast turnaround process, and I imagine things were moving rather quickly for everyone. So in episode two, the third scandalous or controversial feature of the family is explored a bit more in depth. The eldest daughter, Marion, is living with her fiancé, Tom, and they have been for a while with no seeming progress made in actually getting married. Um, Marion and Tom do live with Margaret and Terry and everyone else, and also they're like dogs and 20 birds and other assortment of animals. They have a lot of pets. And I never got the true amount of how many pets. There's just a whole lot of birds. (laughs) But Marion and Tom have been going back and forth for a while on if they're even going to get married, when they'll get married, how it will happen, why it hasn't happened yet. Turns out Tom's just, you know, really good at putting it off and, you know, being like, oh, we'll get married eventually. And which is surprising given Margaret's kind of demeanor and how she moves through life. She's a very, you know, headstrong, has her way when she wants it. But we follow that throughout the entire series, and that you could say is the true major plot of the entire series, is Marion and Tom getting married, because it is the focus of the final episode. The entire second episode is mostly spent on a bit of arguing, a bit of discussion between Tom, Marion, and Margaret. And like I mentioned, we also get a bunch of them just talking directly to the camera. You know, they're in reality, they're expositing to the producers, the cameraman, or whoever is there. But because they filmed them facing the camera or at kind of this three-quarters angle, it very much gives us impression of the character, the cast member, talking to the audience, telling us what's happening. This is a very interesting effect that they've achieved because a lot of Tom's scenes about marriage, anxiety, and apprehension in this episode are filmed at a pub. So it really just feels like you're sitting down with him at the pub and he's telling you his woes, (laughs) which is a very interesting effect, I feel. It does a lot to ground the characters and increase kind of the relatability of not only the characters, but the entire program and what the family is going through. Episode three is largely about Heather. And so we've laid out, you know, affair that Margaret had with Terry that produced Chris. So that's one scandal of the family or one controversial topic. We've laid out Marion and Tom and, you know, why haven't they got married yet and moved out? Why are they living together pre-marriage? And now we're on Heather. Heather's 15. And you would hope and you would think that a 15-year-old doesn't have a lot of public controversy surrounding her. Yet the show definitely does its job and takes it, does its part in amping this up. Heather, a lot of her early show plot is about her being very frustrated that they just raised the minimum age before you can leave compulsory schooling in Britain to 16. And she's 15. So now she has to do a whole another year of school before she can say that she's she doesn't want to do it anymore because she already has plans. She wants to go be a hairdresser. She knows this. She's been doing it for a while. 
That's what she wants to do. So she wants to leave school so she can start her job there. And she already has plans for doing more than just hairdressing. She wants to do specific things with it. However, because of, you know, the new schooling age raising, this episode shows a kind of guidance career counselor trying to talk to Heather and trying to figure out what does she want to do? You know, what plans does she have? This counselor is very unsuccessful. Heather just, like, doesn't respond and is giving her nothing. Um, is very bored the whole time. That's not very controversial. You know, many teens probably relate to Heather because of that in Britain at the time. And there's probably a bunch of teens that would relate to Heather today. I don't know, I'm not a teen. Uh, the controversial bit surrounding Heather is that in this episode, we're introduced to Heather's boyfriend, Melvin, who is mixed race. And as you may be able to guess, being in an interracial relationship in the mid-70s caused a bit of controversy. The family already was kind of getting attacked by, like I said, conservative media and anyone who was just kind of like, oh, y'all are a bad representation of a British family or a Reading family or what have you. Heather, because of dating Melvin and being in this interracial relationship, received a lot more direct threats as a 15-year-old. And Heather is still alive today, and she's done a fair amount of interviews that you can read the transcripts and like the articles written about interviews. There are also some recorded interviews with Heather on YouTube that I will discuss later that you can watch where she talks about this. How she was directly targeted and harassed and she all just took all of it in stride, which is very admirable. And then episode four, uh, we get to finally lay out the final controversial topic about the family, and that is Gary and Karen. They're married, they have this baby boy, but they cannot get out of Margaret and Terry's house because they don't have the money to move on their own, and they are struggling to get the welfare housing from the city council. Episode 4 actually ends up making a little bit of progress for them on this. They get a council member to come down and, you know, witness the overcrowding in Margaret and Terry's home. Which the council member is, you know, he promises to go back and see what he can do. And it's a very interesting look into politics of the time. If you're one for political, like local political history and local government. The welfare housing system was based on like a points format where you had to reach so many points before you would be considered for housing. And getting the councilman to come down and witness the overcrowding and the state of the home apparently is what pushed them over to the threshold and got them some more points. Because it's revealed in the next episodes that the uh, they do get the home. And so the first four episodes, like I said, lay out a lot of the main four different controversies that one would say make the family atypical, but also make them typical because you can imagine another family or anyone going through any of those similar things. And then the rest of the series is kind of following two of the major controversies because, I mean, one of them is just Chris is not Terry's biological son. That's kind of, well, he's already born. <laughs> he's nine. He's made it this far. And Heather is taking being harassed very well, honestly. And she's very strong and she already knows what she wants to do. She has her life planned out and everything. So we follow for the rest of the series, Marion, Tom going back and forth on this wedding and whether or not it will happen. And then Tom eventually says, fine, we'll get married on this day. So we get to follow Tom and Marion to go talk to church official to officiate the wedding. 
The priest, you know, even asked Tom directly at some point, do you actually want to get married? Because he's seen a lot of this happen. And then suddenly, you know, groom doesn't show up on the day of or something. They do finally get married. The entire focus of the last episode of the series is Marion and Tom's wedding. Um, And you can read about that episode specifically on BBC's website. It's kind of like a, you know, historical timeline piece for history of broadcasting for the BBC. By this point in the series, because the show was airing while it was being filmed, the 12th episode, the show was popular by this point. Each episode was drawing, at a minimum, like 8 million viewers. By the time Marion and Tom got married, and the wedding was also filmed, they had to contend with both media, like paparazzi-style media, fans of the show, and like protester critics all showing up to the wedding because it was being filmed and, you know, trying to voice their opinions about Tom and Marion or the whole series or anyone else in the family. And it actually resulted in, I believe, Tom, you know, having to get a little physical with some of these people that had showed up. And uh, it also resulted in Tom and Marion having to cut their honeymoon short I don't remember, they, they didn't stay in England, but they went somewhere, some islands, but they had to come back early because they were kept being recognized and they couldn't have their peaceful honeymoon. <laughs> and then the other major thing, like I said, is Gary and Karen moving out and getting this place to themselves. And we're shown their moving process, moving in, figuring out how paying the rent is going to work, jobs and money and all that. And both are, however, kind of set up to be a positive happy ending uh when the series ends one last thing to wrap up what actually happens during the show that i want to point out is the penultimate episode episode 11 of the original 12 episode broadcast was focused entirely on kind of like media interviews and the family dealing with their newfound fame all the film members are talking about you like you know i've just you know, starred in a documentary. I'm not some kind of, you know, film star or TV star. It's just a 12-episode documentary, and it's only 30 minutes each, so it's a six-hour series in total. But they're still having to contend with all of this media backlash and suddenly becoming local or at least countrywide celebrities for anyone who's watched the show. I mean, it aired on BBC One, so it's going to be a well-watched show, or at least well-known about. And it's interesting to see mostly Margaret, but some of the other family members deal, you know, read the paper or listen to the radio or watch the TV and see what other people are saying about them. You know, there was a uh, rep, an MP representative for Reading that has said the show should be canceled after like the first or second episode. And yet he hadn't even watched the show. You know, he was the representative of Reading and was, because there were some people complaining about it, he had to shut that down. It didn't get shut down. He was not successful. I think part of that was because the show was so short. You know, they only wanted to do a certain amount of episodes. Had they tried to go longer? Like I said, An American Family was filmed for seven months. Had they tried to do more, maybe they would have run into more trouble. So after the show, family got to do, you know, there were interviews about being on the show. As not just the family, but also with uh, Paul Watson. He had actually reflected on 
kind of his role in reality TV. Now keep in mind, he also went on later to produce and work on Sylvania Waters, which is another major reality TV milestone. So this isn't his only rodeo. And, you know, so what he has to say about reality TV has a bit of weight. In 2006, he claims, you know, modern reality TV, as opposed to what he made for The Family and even 93's Sylvania Waters, has no analysis, no insight, no unexpected side to the story. Its only functions seem to have been to turn the rest of us into peeping toms. Which is a very interesting, you know, way to think about how we go from an American family and the family all the way to, you know, TLC's Hoarders, which I would very much say is a show that just, the it's for the audience's gawking and it's kind of exploitative or it's very exploitative in its production and how it is aired but at the same time i don't fully agree that you know he went into this show with all these elaborate themes that he was pulling out he wanted to make a documentary piece as a television show about marriage and motherhood and being a woman in a family and housing and poverty and all these things but you have to kind of wonder is what would happen if it wasn't the Wilkins family? You know, what if he never found them? What would the show be like? Would it have all these themes that he's he was looking for and he's in you know, this profoundness that he's claiming that reality TV has back in the day? <laughs> I mentioned in the penultimate episode that we got to see the family reckoning with media backlash and suddenly becoming these micro-celebrities after three days. After the very first episode of the show, which again was the one in which it was revealed that Chris is not Terry's biological son, Sue Freeman of the London Evening News, which is a newspaper, was sent to see if Margaret would write a weekly column about being on the show and, you know, Margaret's role in all of this and her thoughts and her opinions and her experience. Margaret had initially declined because she didn't really want to deal with the media. She's not a fan of media at all, especially after the show. But being Margaret and being this kind of headstrong, take-charge character, after seeing how the media was just raking her and her family over the coals and the show, following the airing of only one episode, Margaret said, yes, she'll do it. So she wrote this column. And then following the show, Sue and Margaret continued to work together and to be friends, and Sue actually helped Margaret write a biographical book entitled A Family Affair, gave her whole life story, which is a very interesting story, and then towards the end also details some of the behind the scenes of the family along with her opinion of being chosen for the show, being on the show, and post-show. This is where some of the information that I've told you about Margaret's opinions specifically and why it appears that I know a lot more about her than anyone else is because of this book, which I don't think it's in print anymore, but as I will in the wrap-up tell you, I was able to get access to the book. What has the Wilkins family been up to since wrapping the series? So I mentioned again the series finished on June 6th in 1974. Uh, they did a 10 years later kind of one, you know, hour special documentary because they re-aired the whole series and then met up again and talked to all the family members. So after the show, Margaret and Terry ended up divorcing. Both of them remarried again. Margaret remained 
somewhere near Reading, while Terry moved to Bournemouth. Uh, Marion ended up divorcing Tom after seven years, um, and as of 1999 was on her third marriage. Tom still lives in Reading. Gary and Karen stayed married for 12 years, and they had four children. Uh, their marriage ultimately ended due to an affair. But Karen and Gary remain friends, from what I found. Heather and Melvin stayed engaged for two years, never got married. Heather lives in London and still works as a hairdresser. And then Christopher, the youngest, all that you could really find about him is that he does not want to be associated, you know, with it anymore, really. They kind of... You've seen what non-reality TV can do to child actors who are stuck in the, you know, television and the media entertainment industry. And if you've watched your fair share of reality television from, you know, the mid-2000s onwards, you can also see what, see what happens to child cast members of reality TV shows sometimes. And so it's understandable that Chris wanted to get himself out of the picture here and kind of just move on with his life. Um, he's in this kind of 10 years later special very minimally. So other interesting, you know, impacts that the show had. Paul Watson got to go on a couple, you know, like 20 years later to do Sylvania Waters. Um, that's not the only thing he did, but it's the only other major, you know, reality television show that I know of and most people know of. Um, so we'll see him again in however many episodes when I cover that show. And then, interestingly, you know, families, you know, average British citizens got to see the show. And a lot of, well, there were these critiques coming from, you know, conservative media fronts and opponents of the format of the show or the topic or what have you. There were a lot of people who saw themselves in the show, very similar to what happened with An American Family. Despite them being middle class, there were a lot of people who saw themselves in the struggling and fracturing family as it was going through a divorce in the States. And the same thing happened here. And in fact, the episode that actually showed Gary and Karen finally getting the council person to come to their home and see the conditions and help them use that to push them further into the point system for housing actually helped other real British citizens do the exact same thing. Which is very cool to see that, you know, Watson set out to make a piece on poverty and housing, at least in part, you know, we can assume to highlight the issues and maybe start the, you know, the process of generating a solution to these problems. And for some people, seeing the show, you know, educated them and gave them an avenue for how to solve these problems, which is very, very cool. So what are my final thoughts? Something that's very interesting that we can already see is that British reality TV is already so very different from American reality TV. An American Family and The Family are two shows a couple years apart. Like I said, this was filmed in 74, and American Family was filmed in 71 and aired in 73. Very similar topic, very similar focus. The same, you know, subject. We're going to film a family by putting cameras in their home and just following them. But there's just so many differences already. And American Family took a very hands-off approach and had very minimal or no interaction during filming. Um, you know, he could talk to the family when the cameras were off if they have concerns or anything, but 
didn't engage during the filming process when cameras were rolling. Compare that to this show where you have Paul Watson is in the episode himself talking about why he wants to do the show and why the family wants to do the show. And there's this, you know, like I said, the precursor to the confessional format where we're getting cast members of the show talking directly to the camera, the producers, and the audience. That's already so different. And then just in the airing format alone, the American version was filmed and then released way later. This show was being aired as it was being filmed, which, as we'll see going forward, is a fairly common thing for British reality television and is not as common in the States, which... Not sure why. You know, it has its pros and cons for each of them, but it's an interesting split there. Um, I largely agree with a lot of the discussion about this show. You know, it's nice to see a family that has realistic problems and realistic stories to the average every person, rather than kind of the middle-class loud family on an American family that, for despite being middle-class, you know, even in the 70s, is not going to be the same experience, you know, remotely as the average American. If you want some interesting stats on IMDb currently, now neither of these shows have a huge fan base, you know. The fan base for The Family is definitely bigger than the fan base for An American Family, um, but on IMDb, An American Family is currently rated at 6.6. The Family is rated at 7.7. I enjoyed it. Uh, I recommend if you're a fan of reality TV and you kind of like this idea of what is the history of reality TV as we go through it all, I recommend watching it. If you're a fan of British television or British culture um, or even just the 70s, I recommend watching it because you get to see. Give it a watch. Unlike an American family, which you literally cannot watch anywhere and I have no idea how to get a hold of to watch it. And all you can see is five minute snips on YouTube if you dig really hard. The entire series, except for one episode, I believe, is available on YouTube for The Family. A huge acknowledgement here to the YouTube channel Treble Clef Entertainment. Uh, They have the entire series up on YouTube. You can watch all the episodes. They're roughly 30 minutes each. They're short, they're easy, and I enjoyed them all. It was very much a series that I wanted to keep watching. You know, I became engaged in these people's lives and their day-to-day happenings and all these events early on you know the first episode hooked me so i definitely recommend watching it treble clef entertainment on youtube the person who runs that channel has also conducted interviews with heather she's still alive everyone in the family except for margaret and terry are alive i believe you know they've conducted a handful of interviews with heather just to talk with her about her life, the show, and the rest of the family, and, you know, her thoughts and opinions and experiences, and just what she's been up to. Very interesting stuff. And then I also want to put an acknowledgement and a huge thanks to a Facebook page that I found called the Family 1974 Tribute Page, which is where I was able to get access to the biography about Margaret. That book I hunted for a very long time. Like I said, I don't even think it's in print anymore. You couldn't buy it to read it, but I was able to get access to it through the people who run this page. So I'm very thankful for that. And if the channel Trouble Clef Entertainment or if anyone on the family 1974 tribute Facebook page uh, happens across this podcast and gives it a listen, 
then I thank you and uh, thank you for your work in, you know, collecting this media and putting it together so that we can watch it and learn about it and talk about it now. That's a very important endeavor to take on, especially as time marches forward and we start losing records of media that was on obsolete storage, like tapes <laughs> and soon to be CDs and maybe soon to be, you know, physical storage at all. This is the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening and learning all about the family with me. That is it for this installment of the recap episode. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you come back for more. You can also follow the pod on Twitter and Instagram at the recap episode for updates, additional content, and to talk with me about any and all things reality TV. Thanks for listening. And when you need to learn about the reality you've missed, you can always check out the recap episode.